The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 10, 30, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. Well, it is so good to see you all here today and so glad that, that you're here, church. If you're joining us uh, online, so glad you've joined us, joined in. And if you live locally, we would love for you to come by sometime. And also Pilot Campus, just want you to know we love you guys. And every week you are there in our Pilot Campus as a part of that community. You are helping to pioneer our way forward. You are helping us achieve our vision of advancing and seeing South Florida reached for Christ. And so thank you for what you're doing. You are our leaders. We love you and I'm grateful for you. And so um, today is a special day because we are kicking off a brand new series. The series is called I Am Because He Is. And the idea of this series is talking about identity and the issues of identity, man, they, they run really deep under the surface for each one of us. And every now and then, kind of evidence of that identity just kind of comes up to the surface and, and we wrestle with it. So for example, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but maybe you've had the experience where a good friend of yours changed their name on you. You ever had that experience? Maybe it was a friend and all through childhood and through uh, maybe high school, they went by junior. But then they graduate from high school and they're like, please, just call me by my, my real name now. I'm, I don't want to be junior anymore. Call me by my real name. And you're like, yeah, I just don't know what your real name is, okay? It's Francis. Can I please just call you junior? Can we just go with junior? And, and they change the name and you have to try. And you're like trying to get the name out, but you've known them for so long. Or maybe you've known like a Bobby and they go through childhood as Bobby, and now he's like, excuse me, it's Bob now, because I'm sophisticated. Okay, they want that name. If you've ever had someone change their name, so for example, my name, it, Roby, is actually a nickname. I'm technically a Robert. And imagine like how weird it would be like if I just came in one day, and I'm like, please, from now on, Bert. <laughs> just Bert, please. I'm just changing it up. Okay, that would be weird. Some of you are like, Actually, I can kind of see it. Bert actually could go. Okay, um, either way, it's weird when someone changes their name on you. Why? Because you've known them as like a certain way, and when they change it up, it's weird. The same is true for nicknames. So in um, college, my college roommate, his name is Andrew Bryant. I called him Andy. But in high school, he played football, and so it was just kind of inevitable. Because his last name was Bryant, everyone called him Bear, as in like the famous football coach, Bear Bryant. And so he always went by Bear, and he was so used to introducing himself as Bear when he got to college, when people asked him his name, he just said Bear. It was just kind of an in instinct, and so everyone called him Bear. And it was, it was interesting because I remember like people just so knew him as that, that they, they didn't like, they didn't even really know like his name. Like I would go and say to a group of guys in the dorm, hey, Andy and I are going to go to Walmart. You guys want to come? And they're like, who? Like, you know, my roommate, Andy, they said, Bear, that's his name. And I'm like, you've lived across the hall from him for three years and you don't even know his name? Like his name is Andy. It's just amazing how someone's name or nickname is like becomes a piece of their identity. And those identity issues, we kind of realize how deep the waters of identity are in our lives when just certain things kind of cue us about our identity. But it doesn't matter what season of life you're in, 
It doesn't matter what generation you're a part of. And it doesn't even matter where you're at spiritually. You may be here saying, look, I grew up in church. I, I'm, I've known the Lord for many years. Some of you may say, look, I'm here and I'm not even sure what I believe or where I stand with Jesus or my faith. This is my first time in a church, maybe you say, and we're so glad that you're here. But really, wherever you're at spiritually, this issue of identity is something all of us think through, process through, and in some ways wrestle with. It affects so many other parts of our life. And so we're going to look at a part of the Bible that addresses this concept of identity. And we're going to spend the next few weeks discussing this in this series. And we're going to look at a part of the Bible because what we believe about the Bible is that it is God's timeless truth that he communicated through some individuals many years ago, but has preserved for us. And so we go into the Bible because we believe it's just directly God's words from God and helps us understand things. And I think you'll see as we just dig into what it says about identity, how profound the scripture can be in our lives. So here's what I'd like for you to do. Could you open in your Bible or Bible app to the book of 1 Peter? The book of 1 Peter. We're gonna spend the next few weeks in the beginning of 1 Peter. Um, and we're gonna just start right at the beginning. 1 Peter chapter one. We're gonna start with verse one. Here's what it says. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. All right, now just pause there. We'll just get the context for what's going on here. This is technically a letter. First Peter is a letter. Much of the New Testament are a series of letters from Christian leaders, apostles is what they're called in the Bible, writing these letters to Christians around the world. The fancy term for that is epistle. This is considered an epistle, a letter. And they're writing this letter. And the way that they, the ancients would write the letter is they would begin, the first part is who it's from. Now we typically put that at the end, you know, sincerely so-and-so. You know, we put that at the very end. But actually, if you think about it, it makes sense to put it at the very beginning. I mean, think about it. If you have the phenomenon of getting an actual real live letter from someone you know in your mailbox, anyone ever had, I heard that used to happen back in the day. Anyone ever had that happen? When you get that, you're like, I, I think this is a letter, okay? And the first thing you do is you look at what? The return address. Oh, who sent this, this letter to me? Who, where is this from? And it, you start with who it's from. It gives you the, the context of it. That's how all of these letters begin. And so he starts by saying, this is from Peter. And this is, uh, by the way, so you know, this is the Peter, the famous Peter, sometimes called St. Peter, one of the disciples of Jesus. This is from Peter. And he's sending it to Christians in a region. And you saw all of those different names that is a region of the Roman Empire. Like, let me pull up this map here real quick. Go ahead and pull up that map. Um, you can see the names in red. Those are the names, those are the regions that this letter is going to circulate through. That is most of modern-day Turkey, but you'll see that that is, um, that is different regions in the eastern part of the Roman Empire. And so all through those regions are cities. Those cities have churches. And what's happening is this letter will arrive at this church. One of the leaders will stand up in front of the church, read this letter to the church, 
and then they'll, they'll talk about it, they'll practice it, and then that letter gets passed on and sent to the next church, and it gets circulated all around in that region. Peter is writing a letter to that church. That's, that's the context here. Okay, now I want to dig in a little bit to the meat of what he's just said, even in his introduction, because it looks obvious, but there's some profound things just right off the bat. He refers to himself as Peter, which seems like that'd be obvious, but Peter's actually his nickname. The name he was actually born with is the name Simon Bar-Jonah, or Simon, son of Jonas, or son of John. His name is Simon. Peter is a nickname that he got, and um, the name Peter comes from the Greek Petros, or they would probably, in Aramaic, if they were talking to each other, they would have said Cephas, and it means rock. So I like to think of it as like Simon the Rock, okay? That's a pretty cool nickname, all right? So his name is Rock. Okay, but I want you to notice he's opening this letter just referring to his nickname, Rock. If you were to go to 2 Peter, the other letter that we have in the New Testament, he begins it as Simon Peter. So it's to a broader audience, maybe just making sure they know who he, who he is. He uses his real name and he's using his nickname, but here he's just using his nickname. Now, what's so significant about this name, Peter? Jesus gave it to him. And it wasn't just kind of one of those nicknames that just kind of happens. You know, those nicknames are like, I'm not even sure where that came from, but it just, it is now. That's not this. There's this moment when Jesus was in the middle of his ministry, and he's walking with his disciples, and they're walking along on the road, and he says to his disciples, hey, who are people saying that, that I am? You know, Jesus is getting, everyone's talking about him. He's a household name. People know the things that he's doing. He's saying, who are people saying that I am? And they say, well, Jesus, they, they're trying to figure it out. Some think you're a reincarnated prophet. They, some think Elijah. Some are saying Jeremiah. Some say John the Baptist. Like they think because of all these miracles. I mean, the, the rumors of you walking on water, the rumors of, of you pouring um, water and making it into wine. And like the, they're hearing of these miracles. You're healing people. Your teaching is un unlike anything anyone's ever heard. They think maybe you're a, a prophet. And then the way I envision it is, is he just stops and turns around and looks them all in the eyeballs, his disciples. And he says this. Who do you say that I am? I mean, he kind of just puts them all on the spot. Like, that's pretty intense. I mean, he's got a, they've seen all that. That's not a rumor to them. They saw him walk on water. They saw, they tasted the wine that went from water to wine. I mean, they've seen the people healed. I mean, they walked with them, and now they're on the spot. Pop quiz, do you, have you gotten it yet, disciples? Who do you say that I am? And Simon, son of John, or son of Jonah, Simon Bar-Jonah speaks up and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. In other words, Jesus, you are the promised Messiah, the son of God, God in the flesh. And Jesus looks right at Peter and he says, you have no idea how blessed you are because that truth you could never have conjured up in your own mind, God had to reveal that to you. That is a revelation from God. He says, you're blessed, Simon. And then he goes on to describe, I am gonna, that truth is the foundation, that is the bedrock 
of everything I am here to do. It is who I am as the Messiah, the Son of God, and I am going to build my church on that rock, on that bedrock, on that truth that I am the Messiah, the Son of God. And then he takes a step further and he says, because you are so blessed to have uttered that foundational truth, he says, I'm changing your name. I am now gonna call you Cephas or Petros or Peter. I'm gonna call you Rock. So Peter is known now throughout history by the nickname that Jesus gave him, Rock. And he opens this letter, just Peter. And I think there's something significant happening there. Because if he has to pick between his two names, the one his parents gave him, Simon, or Peter, if he's just gonna pick one, what's more important to him is what Jesus called him. He says, he says this is from Peter, and then he goes and then he addresses the people he's sending this to, and he uses this interesting phrase. He doesn't say, hey, to all of you Christians out there, to, to you churches in all these cities, to you Christ followers, he picks this interesting phrasing. He says, to you elect exiles. That's what he's calling them. That, that in the same way his name is loaded, the name he's giving them, elect exiles, is loaded. Now this word exiles, we're going to dig into that in a, in a future week. So put that on the shelf for now. And I want you to look at this one word, elect. Well, what does this word elect mean? If someone is an elected official, they have been selected, they have been chosen by some constituents to represent them. They have been chosen. If you're in school and you have an elective, those are not the classes that were chosen for you, those are the classes that you choose. So he's referring to these, the recipients of his letter, these Christians, as chosen. Now what in the world does he mean by that? I want to look at verse 2. He expounds on this powerful, this is a really rich verse here. Uh, it's the rest of that first sentence. And we're just going to read through 2 and we're going to stop there and park there for the day. Look, look what it says in verse 2. You were chosen according to to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. That's the opening of this entire letter. Now there's a lot in that second half of that sentence. Let's break this apart. He says, you're chosen according to the foreknowledge of the Father. You're being sanctified by the Holy Spirit so that you can be obedient to Jesus, sprinkled by his blood. Now let's, let's start at the end and work backwards because this is really a lot in here. He first, he says, you have been sprinkled by the blood of Jesus. Now that might be a foreign concept. You're like, okay, that actually kind of sounds gross. Like what, what is, is he talking about there? This is tapping into an Old Testament symbol that they would take the blood of a sacrifice, maybe a, a ram or maybe a, a lamb or a bull, they would take the blood of the sacrifice and they would actually sprinkle it on something like an altar or the Ark of, a covenant, of the Covenant or parts of the temple or even on people and it would be a symbol that that sacrifice has made them clean. And he's picking this symbol to describe what's happened to us in the gospel. The one sacrifice the world has been waiting for, that Jesus dies on the cross and then rises again, that, has been the, that blood of that sacrifice has been sprinkled on you 
and you've been made clean. You have been forgiven. Now I want you to think with me. If you are a Christ follower, you probably remember the moment that that clicked. One of the most powerful moments of your life. Some of you would say, look, I I will never forget that moment. I remember I came into a church one day and you said, look, my life, I had made it into such a wreck. I was at the lowest point. I didn't even know why I was in church or how I got there, but I got there and and I'm sitting there and I'm beginning to realize I'm listening to what's being said in the Bible and I, I can't even totally describe what happened, but I just knew God had me there right in that moment and all I knew is I just surrendered to God in that moment and, and surrendered to Jesus and say, look, I'm making a mess of my life, so here, you, you take the controls, Jesus. And maybe you came forward to an altar call or you raised your hand or you, you checked the box and filled out a card, but there was that moment when you came, when you took that step and you said, man, I remember that. Some of you say, no, for me, I was actually all alone in my room and I was so broken and I I just, I didn't know where to turn and I just fell to my knees and just begged for God's mercy. And you say, that was just a a powerful moment when I just surrendered to God. And I realized I'd been forgiven because of Jesus. Some of you might say, look, I was at a really low point and I I was, my, my life was just a mess. I had a lot of questions and I just, I knew there was, I had one Christian friend and I called them up and we went to coffee and I just told them, man, my life is just in shambles. And they just looked at me and said, you need Jesus. And that was it right there on the spot. I just, I, I, I cried right there in the, in the, ca- in the it, right there in that, the coffee shop. And I just, I gave, I prayed, I gave my life to Jesus. I didn't even know the adventure I was beginning on, but I just knew I was taking that step that day. Man, that powerful moment. He's describing our journey with God. Many of you remember that moment when you took that step and realized no matter what's happened in your life, what's in your past, you have been washed clean by Jesus and you remember the power of that moment. But he talks about that we were, for, we were uh, sanctified for obedience to Jesus and to be washed clean because what usually happens is we take that step and we're like, okay, Jesus, I'm surrendered. And we take that step having no idea, man, how hard that's gonna be. Because we say things like Jesus is not just our savior, he's our Lord and savior. In other words, he didn't just rescue me and save me. He becomes my king. He becomes my boss. He becomes my leader. He becomes the one who I give access to my entire life and say, here, I'm surrendered to you. And maybe some of you, your story, you can remember, look, I took that step and I realized I'd have to surrender this to, to him. And then along the journey, I've realized, wow, I also have to surrender this and, and this. And I've realized, and maybe many years later, man, Lord, I'm still holding on to this part of my life. But following you, making you my Lord, I have to, I, I realize now I am surrendering every part, my relationships, my career, my goals, my finances, my sexuality, every piece of who I am, I am surrendering to you in obedience. But the other amazing part of the journey is what happens through the Holy Spirit. It's what the Bible word in here is sanctification, where all of a sudden as we're walking along in obedience to Jesus, we are sensing he is working something in our hearts at the same time. And if you've ever heard a Christian describe it, they'll say, it's crazy. There are things that I used to want to do and I don't even want to do them anymore. I can't describe it. I I used to think, man, church, I'll never be in church. And man, if you'd see me now, like I believe in my church. I used to think, man, I I grew up, maybe you said, like I grew up in church and I I used to hate going, but now it's my lifeline because he's working on you on the inside 
while, he, while you are walking with him on the outside and he is, you see him changing, going to work inside, making us like Jesus. You can maybe identify to so many parts of that journey and maybe some of you who say, look, I, I can't identify with those parts. Maybe that's why God has you here to, to learn what those steps are gonna look like. But there's one other piece that you need to see that, that he began that whole part of that journey describing. All of that happened because of what he says the foreknowledge of the Father. Can I share with you what that means? Your whole journey with God, he had been thinking about before a single particle had come into existence. It's, this is refuting the idea that God kind of sets up the world and he says, okay, I've got truth here and I've, I've got you know, some, some people here kind of sharing the truth and man, I just hope some people find it. Like I hope that they can, they can seek enough until they just kind of come across it. Oh, this person, okay, great. That's not what's describing. He's not left it up and just random. No, no, what he's saying is he, before the foundation of the world, before even time itself existed, Christian, listen to this. He had you by name in his mind preparing to arrange your life to draw you to himself. That's how much he loves you. He chose you. He wanted you. He prepared your life drawing you to himself. You say, look, okay, all right, I, I hear you, but... I just feels weird to like say, like I, I'm just, I don't know if I'm gonna go around and saying, hi, I'm Roby and I'm chosen. It just kind of feels like arrogant to say that, that I'm chosen. You're not saying it. God is saying it. I mean, which is more arrogant? To stand outside of the Bible and say, I'm not sure if I believe that's okay to say. Or to place yourself in submission to God's word to define who you are. You say, okay, but I, I hear that and I hear that I'm chosen, but what about other people? Like, are there people like unchosen? Like, what about this person I know or that person on the other side of the world? Okay, we don't read the Bible for other people. This is about your journey with God. Their journey with God is between them and God. And you wouldn't believe the stories he's working out in people's lives all over the world. This is about your journey with God, Christian. This is for you to understand what has transpired in your life. The things the Holy Spirit's done in your heart. The things of how, as you've been surrendering your life to the Lord. As you realize that you've been washed clean. This is about your relationship with God and understanding that before time began, before you were even, before any particle was in this universe, he knew you by name and chose you because he loves you that much. In other words, long before you ever felt like you were choosing him, he had already chosen you. Can you believe that? Here's what it says. This is what, how Peter says it, but there's another person who writes letters named Paul, another one of the apostles. And um, here's how he describes it. I, I love this out of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. Listen to this. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family 
by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Do you hear that? The Father knew ahead of time and wanted you. He is our Father. And He's actually our Father in two ways. He created us, He invented us, He knows us, He wired your personality together, He wired your DNA together, He made you, He created you. He's your Father in that sense, but He's also your Father in the sense that He adopted you into His family at great cost to Himself. You know, there are are two ways to be in someone's family. One is a biological child, the other is an adopted child. Both are unbelievably beautiful in two different ways. And we have uh, many families that are adoptive families and it's it's an incredible, beautiful calling that they're bringing children into their home. They're both beautiful. A parent of a biological child falls in love with that child and feels this sense of connection with this child. But an adoptive parent is a parent that says, I want you, and at great cost, I'm coming to get you. It's powerful. Bringing them into their home. And God is saying, I'm your father in both ways. I made you, and I'm so proud of you, and I connect with you, and you reflect my image. But I also came and got you at great cost to myself. Do you know the cost of your adoption into the Father's house? The blood of Jesus Christ. That's how badly he wanted you in his household. You, by name, chosen to be brought in. Do you dare to believe that, Christian? See, here's the the challenge we we come up against in in our our life. We all deal with, to to one degree or another, we all deal with uh, issues with identity. And and it's really this question. We we deal with this this I am question. We say, really, who am I? And it's interesting how we handle this. And you can see this all over, how we're all wrestling with identity. If you notice, I mean, this is wired right into so many parts of our life. Have you ever noticed that when you ask someone what they do, they respond with who they are. Like just think about that grammatically. You're asking for an action verb and they respond with a being verb. You say, hey, uh, Roby, what do you do? I will most often say, I am a pastor. You ask someone who's in the medical field, what do you do? Typically they won't say, I practice medicine. That would be an action verb. They will say, I am a doctor. I am a teacher. I am a lawyer. Why? That's not necessarily bad. It's just because what we do is so much a part of our identity. How about this? You know, you can see what people associate their identity with by the decal on the back of their car. I mean, they're just driving around town and there's, they have like only a couple things that they're communicating about themselves and they put it on the back of their car. It could be any number of things. It could be the team that they like, the college that they went to, It could be the place that they vacation. It could be their hobby. It could be their little stick figure family that they have, okay? It it could be the, the dog that they adopted. I mean, it could be any number of things. And those are all things that compile the who am I category. These are the things that we're communicating about what makes us us. 
And those things may not be bad as part of our identity, but where we get into trouble is this second part of this equation is what we're anchoring who we are to. We say, I am this because of this. And so this is where things can get a little bit troublesome for us. It's why do we anchor our identity to those things? And so, for example, here's how our society uh, handles this particular part of the equation. They warn us not to look on the outside for our identity, but to look on the inside for identity. Don't let someone else tell you who you are. Look inside and actualize who you believe you are. And they caution that for good reason, because the outside influences are so unstable and turbulent. You could have one person who says nice things to you and the next person says mean things to you. And you're just bounced back and forth like you're on, on choppy seas, just back and forth, back and forth. Not to mention that sometimes the things, the words that have been spoken to us can do so much damage to our identity, we can spend the rest of our lives working on them. The former president of um, Compassion International, West Stafford, put it like this, and, and when I saw this, I, I just never forgot it. He said, all children should wear a sign around their neck that says, caution, wet cement. Because the impression that goes on a child, it hardens into concrete and they spend the rest of their life dealing with that. And that includes you and me. Several years back when I worked more closely with our students, I was driving around with a 17-year-old or 18-year-old who's just about to graduate, great kid. And um, I remember just driving in the car with him and I said to him, hey man, so you're about to graduate. You know, what are you gonna do next? Are you gonna get a job? Are you think about going to school? Like, what's next after you graduate high school? And he said this, I'll never forget it. He said, oh, I'm not college material. And I thought about that phrase. I mean, first of all, I asked him what he was going to do, and he responded with who he was. I am not college material. It became part of his identity. The second thing that struck me is no 17 or 18-year-old child would ever construct that phrase on their own. Someone had told him that, and it became his identity. We're cautioned not to build our identity on all the words, and some of us, probably all of us to some degree, are still working on the things that have been spoken to us throughout our lives. And so then the other option the world, world tells us to do is to then look inside for our identity. The problem is that is just as unstable as what's on the outside. Because what's on the inside is this turbulent seas, these tempestuous seas that are so choppy, rocking us back and forth as we're dealing with all those outside things that are spoken to us. And so we're, we're swirling around with insecurity and pride and reaction and then overreaction and reacting to the bad things and overreacting to the good things and back and forth. And so even when we look on the inside, what we find is something unstable, something that cannot properly, safely, consistently anchor our identity. And so here's the brilliance of what Peter just modeled to us. He said this, let me just start with who I am to you, churches, Peter says. I am Peter. I am at my core what Jesus said that I am. 
See, the most stable, predictable, consistent, healthy way is we fill this in, I am, because he is. There's something who God is that helps us understand who we are. And do you know what this passage says that you are? It says this. I read this passage and I realize I am chosen. I, he knew me. He wanted me. I am chosen because he is my father. You know, everything we fill in in this category right here is really asking one question. Am I successful? Am I accepted? Am I loved? Am I wanted? Am I beautiful? Am I memorable? Am I significant? Am I noticed? Do I belong? Do you know what all those questions are asking? Am I valuable? Identity boils down to one question. Am I valuable? And here's what God says. Let me tell you how valuable you are to me. The one who spoke galaxies into existence is saying, can you dare to believe how valuable you are? I chose you. I wanted you. I wanted you for my own. I wanted you in my family. I wanted to spend eternity with you. I wanted you to know that you have a father that has been working in your life and even in your darkest hour, I was with you and protecting you from that situation getting even worse and then I took the broken pieces of that situation and I am busy turning them around and making them beautiful. You are not those broken pieces. You are mine. That's who you are. He's saying, there is nothing this world can say to you, tell you, you can accomplish, earn, you can see that can compare to your value of being wanted and loved and valued by Almighty God who expended the greatest treasure in the universe, Jesus Christ, the one who's holding everything together. He expended Jesus on the cross because he wanted you. That's who you are. You are chosen because he is your father. Here's our challenge. We're gonna wake up tomorrow morning and we're gonna enter back into the world and there's going to be a thousand different things trying to tell you how to compare yourself to see if you're valuable. A thousand external things. People who treat you like you're less than human and there's gonna be people who treat you probably far more inflated than you deserve. And you're inside going to be tossed back and forth trying to figure out who you actually are. You need to anchor it and stand on the rock. You are who he says that you are. You are valuable and chosen because he is a father. Now look, this is not a truth that you can just hear one time and you can just kind of make that switch. This is something that you have to repeatedly just beat down into your soul because the other thing that you're competing with and I'm competing with is that video loop of the mistakes we've made and the things that people have said to us trying to tell us who we are. 
And we've got to let this truth overcome that. So here's what we're going to do. Here's your challenge for this week. As you leave here today, there's going to be ushers. There's going to be some at each door, Pilot Campus. There are going to be some uh, waiting for you as you're leaving as well. And they're going to have a big basket and they're going to have a dry erase marker. And as you leave, I want you to grab one of those markers and take that home with you. And here's your homework for this week. I want you to write this on your mirror with that marker. I want you to write it that the mirror, one of the first things you look at in the morning, one of the last things you look at before you go to sleep, to perpetually see yourself and remind yourself who you actually are. You are chosen because he is your father. That's how valuable you are. Maybe some of you might even want to take a picture of that, post it up online. You can put the hashtag WP. I am because he is. The value of that is it's encouraging us all to remember who our identity is. You might want to post that up online. But here's the, here's the challenge, that we begin to beat this truth down into our hearts and into our minds. Here's what I'd like to do for the remainder of our time. As we're going into this series on identity, I want to just take a few minutes now and start this journey together doing some business with God and surrendering when it comes to our identity. And so here's what I'd ask you to do. We're going to take a few minutes here, but I I want you to get in a posture before God. Can you just bow your heads and close your eyes for a second? And for a second, I want you to just sit quietly before God. Christian, I want to ask you a question just silently in this moment between you and God. What are you anchoring your identity to? Just take a few minutes. What are those things? Here's a way you can think about it. When you meet someone for the first time, what are the first things you hope they learn about you? Hold those out to God. Confess those are parts of your identity. Some of them good things, but they're not ultimate things. Is it where you went to school? Your degree? Something you accomplished? A position you hold? Is it something about a relationship that you're in? Is it the car you drive, the neighborhood you live in? What are the things that you're finding your identity in? And right there between you and God, confess those things and acknowledge that those things are unstable things. If you find your identity in success, you'll find someone more successful than you. And maybe that success turns one day. You find your identity in what you do, That's unstable. You might not do that the rest of your life. The only place to anchor your identity is who God says you are. You are valuable to the Almighty. And confess that to Him. But now can you let go of some other things? What are the things that are haunting you? Are there words that 
are still ringing in your mind from your childhood, something a parent said to you, something a teacher said to you, a coach said to you, an ex said to you, that told you you weren't valuable, that told you you weren't enough, that told you you weren't lovable? Was there something that happened in your life that left you with the lie of saying who could love you? And can you confront that today and can you choose to believe something This world can't dare choose to believe that the one who made you loves you and made you just the way that you are. And there is one that says, I love you and I wanted you and I adopted you and I chose you, I picked you, I I knew you and everything about you, I knew everything you'd ever do and I look at the other end of that and say, I want to be with you, you are wanted. That's the truth. Leave everything else behind. That's who you are. Christian, let me read this over you. It says this in Romans chapter 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies who is to condemn Christ. Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Christian, do you believe that today? Is there anyone in this room who believes who you are in Jesus Christ? You are not who your circumstances say that you are. You are not who the people in your life say that you are. You are not who your mistakes say that you are. You are not who your past or your future or your present says that you are. You are who God says that you are. That is who you are. Leave everything else behind. Some of you are here today and I believe you're that person that's starting to believe that God has orchestrated this moment for you. And you say, I've been wandering and seeking and I'm, I'm trying to find the truth. No, the truth has come and found you today. God has arranged this moment for you. And I'm just gonna give you an opportunity to surrender to Jesus Christ. Be reunited with the one who knows you and loves you the most, your creator. All is forgiven through Jesus. Be born again today, fresh start. With everyone, their heads still bowed and eyes closed, let me lead those of you who want to take that step of faith in Jesus. If that's you, silently in your heart, this is an intimate moment with you and your creator, say these words to God. Jesus, I surrender to you today. I don't have all the answers, but today's the day I realize I need a savior. I'm forgiven through you. But I'm also making you my Lord today. 
and I don't know how yet, but I'm going to surrender everything I've got to you. Would you lead me? And I believe I'll spend eternity with you in heaven because of what you did, Jesus. In your name, amen. Church, I believe that there are people here, people in our pilot campus, people watching online. I believe that there are people who took that step of faith for the first time. Can we encourage them? Can we just celebrate with those who put their faith in Jesus for the first time? Hey, if that was you, here's what I want you to do. If you're watching online, you, you prayed that prayer, surrendered to Jesus for the first time, you can click there on the screen that says, yes, that was me. I put my faith in Jesus. If you're here or you're at the pilot campus, then I want you to take out that Get Connected card. I want you to fill out that card and check out, check out the box that says, I put my faith in Jesus for the first time. Take that card. There's some in the seat backs in front of you. There's some on your, in your bulletin you can tear off. And take that card and put that in the offering box as you leave. We just want to let you know what the next steps are in this journey. Church, we're going to close with a song today. It's one of those songs you choose to sing. You sing it to remind your soul of a truth that it is so starving to hear. But you're also singing it back, this truth back to your creator and back to your savior, Jesus. And so we're going to sing reminding ourselves of who we are in Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me as we sing this together? Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321 or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.